0: We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be back with you again. How are you guys doing today? Good. Um, if you're joining us online, uh, we are especially, we're especially—we're just thrilled that you're able to be with us and join with us as well on this absolutely frigid, freezing cold morning. Um, so uh, it's, it's great to just be able to gather together. We're in uh, week three right now uh, of a series called Pursued, as you just kind of saw. Uh, we're talking about the big story of Scripture. That's what we're doing. Uh, the major main themes, the arc of Scripture... And so for these first few weeks, we're talking about how we were created. Uh, the story of Scripture is this story about a God who keeps pursuing us, who keeps pursuing His people and wanting, uh, wanting to be a God who, who uh, is with His people. And so we're talking about these first few weeks, how are we created, how were we designed uh, originally to live in community with one another, and how was our world created? And speaking of our world, the, the last couple of years, our world has changed a lot, hasn't it? Um, so many things have changed, uh, division has increased, we're, we're more and more polarized than we've been in past times, we, um, we have more and more, we're socially distanced, we have more and more uh, ways in which our lives have kind of been separated and removed from other people, um, the workplace is becoming more remote, lots and lots of things have been written about that recently, how jobs in the future are going to be more uh, remote, um, education is becoming more remote. And as you think about the church, the church has been impacted by that too. Um, We've changed a a lot of things, and and I think things are changing in the world we live in today. And so, a question I've actually been asked by a few people, and I I wonder if all of us are kind of asking at different points, is do I still need the church to be a Christian? (laughs) Do I still need the church in order to be a Christian? I mean, really, especially, you know, as, as things have changed in our world and gotten so much more divided, people are kind of like, you know, I go to church and people don't agree with me, we don't see eye to eye, I don't like them, they don't like me, and yet I feel like I still have to be nice to them because if I don't, it's a sin at church, you know, and uh, God might smite me or something like that if I don't, and so can, can I just be a Christian who doesn't have to go to church? Do I need the church at all in order to actually be a Christian? And I want to talk about that a little bit this morning because uh, the church actually was not a human idea. It was God's idea. And it's part of how God originally designed things to work. And so we're going to talk a little bit about his idea of the church. Not my idea, not your idea, not a human idea, and what he originally had planned for that. Uh, In John chapter 2, you have this um, story. It's one of the major action scenes in Jesus' life. In John chapter 2, if you've watched any movie about Jesus' life, if you've read any accounts of his life, this scene is always included because it's such a major dramatic moment such a high action uh, point in Jesus' life. In John chapter two, what it tells us is that early in Jesus' ministry, he goes in to the temple there in Jerusalem. And in fact, here is a model of what the temple in Jerusalem would have looked like in Jesus' day. And so uh, this is the area right here where I'm pointing. This, this is the area where Jesus would have gone into. It's called the outer court of the Gentiles. And he, would have, he went into there, and what it says Jesus did is that he fashions a whip Literally, and he begins to drive out the money changers out of the temple. It's this very dramatic moment. Uh, it's, it's, it's like an angry moment. He's angry, he's driving the money changers out of the temple, and we talk all the time about that scene, about what Jesus did in that moment. And not just us, but over the centuries, as people have come to the Gospels, that scene has become a focal point to the, to the point where so much art over the years has been made depicting that action scene, what Jesus did in that moment. Uh, In fact, I'm kind of an art nerd, so I'll try not to nerd out on you too much, but I'm just gonna show you two really quick uh, paintings. Go ahead. This is Caravaggio's um, version. I think this was the 16th century is when he made this, when he painted this. This is is Christ in the temple driving out the money changers. Go ahead to the next one. Um, This is Rembrandt, one of my favorite painters, Rembrandt. Uh, This is his um, depiction of the exact same moment. I mean, it's, it's this intense moment. And if you just go Google, you know, famous art uh, of Jesus driving the money changer out of the temple, you're going to find just painting after painting after painting because we focus so much on what Jesus did in this moment. But here's what's really interesting. In the Gospels, what Jesus did in this moment actually doesn't get him in much trouble. <laughs> There's hardly any reaction at all to what he did. It's actually what he says when he's doing this, that's more outrageous, that's more uh, astounding, and that the religious leaders and everyone else reacts to more. And what's interesting is we read the account of this story and we focus on what he did, and we just kinda skip right over what Jesus said. We don't ever talk about what he said. We, we don't ever look at what he said, but, but when you look at the story of the Gospels, it's what Jesus said when he was doing this. That actually was weaponized and used against him at his trial it's what he said that polarized people so much so in this moment he goes in drives the money changers out of the temple let's look together at what he said this is john 2 starting in verse 18 he's just driven them out it says the jews then responded to him what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this in other words like who do you think you are Well, who gives you this authority to be able to do this? Here's what Jesus says. He answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple Jesus had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said And then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. So what is it that's so significant about what Jesus said in this moment? What what he said, this this line, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. It is such an incredible statement that it causes the Jewish leaders to double down and hate Jesus even more to where they want to kill him. And that same statement, the disciples reflect back on after Jesus' resurrection and it's like, oh, and they put their faith in him and they believe in him even more. What was it that was so compelling about this moment and not just what he did, but what he said? Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand what ancient people believed about temples. Because Jesus is in the temple when he does this and he's, everything he said, he's talking about the temple. So if you were to understand what ancient people believed about the temple, or a temple, a temple in the ancient world was a place where heaven and earth intersected. It wasn't just Jewish people that believed that. All ancient people believed that. In fact, that's what uh, the pyramids were about. That's what all ancient ziggurats were about. That, that's what, when we find these ancient things in, in the world, that's what they believed. They believed a temple was a place where heaven and earth intersected, where, where it came together. Now, you see the thread of this beginning all the way back in the original design in the, the creation story. So if you go all the way to the beginning of the scriptures, uh, in Genesis 2, verse 8, God is creating the heavens and the earth. He creates human beings. And then it says this in, in Genesis 2, 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. So in a sense, Eden, within the created world, within creation, Eden was this special sacred place where heaven and earth intersected. And so in a sense, go ahead to that next one if you will, the description of Eden basically mirrored the temple. When you look at the way that Eden, the Garden of Eden was described in the creation story, it mirrors the temple in Jerusalem that was built much, much later. Now, scholars go crazy about this. I could give you like nine or ten different things. They they love this idea that Eden mirrored the temple. I'm going to give you three examples uh, just just for our time today. Um, First of all, Eden was the place where Adam and Eve walked and talked with God. Genesis 3.8 tells us that. So it's this sacred place in the created world where heaven and earth intersect and human beings can just walk and talk with God. Uh, Next one. God placed Adam in the garden, it says, to cultivate it and to keep it, Genesis 2.15. Now, why is that so significant? The reason that's significant is because when the temple in Jerusalem is built years and years later, and it talks about what the priests did, what were the priests' job? These same two Hebrew verbs are used to talk about the priests' work in the temple. What was the priests' job? Oh, Oh, their job was to cultivate and to keep the temple. That's what it says. Next one. Uh, last one, I should say. The entrance to Eden faced east. That's what, it, that's what it tells us. When the temple in Jerusalem was built centuries later, it faces, guess where? East. In Ezekiel 40, when it talks about the final temple of the end times and it's going to be built, it's going to face east. That's the direction it's going to face. So, so the, the temple in Jerusalem was meant to be like this mirror image of Eden. Of the Garden of Eden and what was lost in the Garden of Eden. That's, that's the picture. Now, why? Why was the temple built that way? Why did God instruct his people to build the temple that way? And, and the reason is because the story, the thread of scripture all the way through, is that about this God who wants to be with and among his people. It's about a God who wants to pursue his people. He, he's not okay with a broken relationship, with us being just sort of left. And so, so the temple was God saying, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to institute a way for human beings to have another sacred space where heaven and earth intersect and where people and God can interact. It was God pursuing, wanting to, saying, I want to be with you. I want to be among you. I don't want to be a God who stands far back from your pain, from the, the real challenges of real life. I want to be with you. I want to be among you. That's what the temple was all about. Now here's the problem with that, and here's why Jesus was so torqued off in John chapter 2. Because what happened is the Jewish people, God's chosen people, as they built the temple... Essentially, they saw that the temple was supposed to be the symbol of the calling on God's people, Israel, to basically take his name and spread it throughout the whole world because God wants to be with and among the people, all people, and it it was eventually so that they would be a blessing to all the nations. And what ends up happening is instead, the Jewish people, they build the temple, and instead they see the the temple as basically a, a proof or a symbol of their election as God's exclusive people. In other words, the temple's about us. It's about our people. It's proof that God loves us and not all of you. And so it's going to be about us. Us four and no more. That's who it's for. And that's what they thought. And that's how they were acting. And so Jesus goes into the temple. Basically, they'd lost the plot. So in the court of the Gentiles, again, the temple included this court of the Gentiles because God wanted to be with and among his people, all the nations. They were supposed to be a blessing to all the nations. And he makes this whip because they completely missed the point of what the temple was all about. So in this moment, he makes this dramatic statement. It's the statement that got him in all kinds of trouble. And essentially what he says is, destroy this temple, I'll raise it again in three days. Talking about himself, his death, and his resurrection. Do you you know what Jesus is saying in this moment? The Jewish leaders got it. What Jesus was saying in this moment is he was saying, I am the temple. The temple, Eden, this thread all the way throughout scripture, it points and finds its full fulfillment in me. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am the temple, I am the one it all points to. That's what he's saying. Now, don't miss this, because the, the founders of every other religion, they all built temples. People in the ancient world knew what a temple was. No matter what religion, it was a place where heaven and earth intersected. That's what they believed. So other, the founders of other religions, they built temples. But what Jesus is saying here, that's so different, as he's saying, I am the temple. I am the priest. I am the altar. I am the one it all points to. But, but here's the difference between Jesus and every other world religion. Jesus says, in every other temple, you bring the sacrifice. In every other temple, you want to meet with God, you bring the lamb, you bring the offering, you bring uh, the money, you bring whatever it is, and you make an offering so that you can uh, sacrifice and be close to God. And Jesus says, in this temple, he says, I am the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. So, so we, this is why, as Christians, the way we understand the gospel is that uh, we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. We're forgiven and we're made right, not through our sacrifice that we bring before God, but by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. That's how we're forgiven. That's how we, we have communion with God and with others again. That's how uh, we get saved. That's the gospel message. And Jesus, Jesus is making this dramatic claim. If I could sum this all up in just one uh, phrase, I'd just say Jesus is the temple to which all earlier temples pointed. Jesus was the one it all found its fulfillment in, and he is the epitome of God's presence here on earth in the, Arca- in the incarnation. That he was the ultimate expression of God wanting to be with and among his people. Now, um, I told you all that uh, because it tends to be, here I want to tell you, here's what we do with that. A lot of times when we learn that information, when we hear that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times what we do with that is we say, great, so Jesus is all I need. That's awesome. Thanks for letting me know. All I need is Jesus. He's the one that everything points to. So therefore, all I need is Jesus. I certainly don't need the church. I certainly don't need other people who uh, I don't agree with and who I have to kind of deal with. I, I, you know, I, I don't need that. All I need is Jesus. But what's interesting is in, when you keep reading the scriptures, as you go into the New Testament, this thread of the temple, and it all pointing to Christ, it continues on into the writings of the New Testament. And that's where I want to I show you. This idea of the temple keeps going. This is Paul's writings to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 1, he's talking about the church, and he says, And God placed all things under Jesus' feet, And appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So you get the metaphor. Have you ever heard when people call the church the body of Christ? Anybody ever heard that statement, the body of Christ? This passage and other passages like it in the New Testament, that's where we get that metaphor. The church is the body of Christ. In other words, Jesus is the head, that's what Paul is saying, of the church. And we, the church, are his body. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the way that Jesus physically manifests himself in this world. So the way that other people encounter Jesus in the world is through us, through us being the hands and feet of Christ. So when we love people, uh, when we serve people, when we forgive people, that's how people know who Christ is. That he's the head and we are the body. Now why do I tell you that? I tell you that because when somebody, if that's the metaphor we're working with, when, when someone says something like, you know, um, uh, I'm a Christian, but I just, I don't need the church. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of the church. Uh, that's similar to basically saying, if you understand the metaphor, that's like saying, hey, Jesus, I really love you, but your body's just kind of disgusting. Like, you're great, Jesus. I, I really love you, but your body grosses me out. I don't, I don't want anything to do with your body. How would that marriage work? I love you, it's just your body. Yeah. That's basically what we're saying. When we say, I, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the hands and feet of Jesus. It's the, body of, it's the way that Jesus uh, is incarnated in our world today. Paul just goes on on this. He just riffs and riffs. He goes into the next chapter of Ephesians, and he starts this, uh, this comparison again. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy what? A holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, so Paul is doing this incredible thing. He's basically using a building metaphor with stones you know, being built. As, and, and he uses a building metaphor to basically make the point that the church is more than just a building. Uh, that the church is actually God's holy people formed together uh, with Christ as the cornerstone. That that's what the church is. The church isn't a, a building. Um, it's, it's not a physical location. It's The people of God that's what the church is I love how brother Yoon described the same uh, idea Uh, if you go to that next one there Uh, he said the true church is not an organization controlled by the rules of men but a holy collection of living stones with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone so what is a church what what does it mean to, to be a part of the church a church Is not a group of people that are centered around a mission statement or a program or a personality or uh, or even a building or anything else a church is a group of people who are centered around the person of Jesus Christ that's what a church is and that's what a church exists for so if this is true I told you all that so I could tell you this (laughs) if everything we just said is true that basically Jesus was the temple to end all temples he was the one it ultimately pointed to but then we are essentially the temple today we are the body of Christ we are the way Jesus manifests I just want to go through just three things really quickly here that if this is true what does that mean for us what does that mean for us as Christians how did God originally design us to live together first of all Uh, You cannot fully know Jesus apart from his church. You can't. Now, does that mean you can't get saved apart from the church? No, you can get saved apart from the church. Does does that mean you can't read the Bible and read Scripture and and understand it? Uh, Sure, you can read the Bible and you can understand it. But you cannot fully know Jesus and fully be formed into his image apart from his church it's not the way he designed it it's not the way and it was his idea not our idea it's not the way he made it go ahead to that next one if you guys will Uh, some of you are familiar with this it's called the Jahari window um, named after the person who who came up with this it's it's a sociological uh, tool used to describe the way that we become self-aware the way we know ourselves and the way we know our world so the Jahari window works like this you got these four quadrants So right here, um, up at the top left, you have this, what's called like an open area of your life. So this is any any area of your life that's known to yourself and it's known to others. Other people can see it about you and you can see it about yourself. Um, I have brown hair. That's an open area of my life. You can see that's true. I can look in the mirror and see that's true. I know it about myself. You know it about yourself. Okay, but if you go to this bottom left area, we all and all of us have hidden areas of our lives. This is an area of our life where it's known to us i know about it but you can't see it you don't know about it and then also uh there are areas of our lives the top um, right corner here that are blind spots in other words it's an area that's known to other people but it's not known to me so other people can see it about me but i can't see it about myself i don't know that it's true and then the bottom uh uh, right uh, corner here, this is an unknown area of our lives. Jahari basically said there are, there are areas of our lives that other people can't see and we don't even, we're not even aware of. Here's, here's what I would say to you. Uh, when you talk about how do we grow in Christ, how do we mature, how do we become more and more aware of the areas of our lives we need to grow in and, we need to, and that God begins to tra- change and transform, you know, these first uh, two areas on the left side, you can pretty much do that without the church. You don't really need the church to do that. You, can, you, you know about the open areas of your life that need to be conformed to the image of Christ. And you know about the hidden areas that other people can't see. But when we get up here to the top right corner and we talk about blind spots, you cannot mature and grow without the church, without others in those areas of your life. Because you don't see them. You don't see them. You don't know they're there. And you cannot be discipled. You cannot work on those areas of your life that are blind spots uh, for you. You have to be in community with other people. You have to be in regular intentional accountability where people uh, who are in Christ, who who love you, are able to speak into areas of your life and you're able to listen and be humble and open to that. That's the only way those areas of our lives get addressed and dealt with. And then also I would add, um, this area that we just call the unknown area, That area, it takes the Holy Spirit. (laughs) God is the only one who can reveal that to us. The Holy Spirit working in our lives can reveal to us the areas of our lives that need to change and grow that nobody else can see and we don't even know about. And the amazing thing is, is when we humble ourselves and put ourselves in community the way God designed us, the Holy Spirit does do that. If you invite him to, he will do that if you're willing to humble yourself and submit yourself to what he had planned. So I tell you all that just to say, this is, God designed us to grow and know him fully in community. You cannot know Christ fully without his church. You just can't. That's the first implication. This is why church attendance, uh, whether it be online or here in person, either one. This is why being a part of a small group, um, going to newcomers, uh, meals, all, that's why we do all this stuff. It's why we, make it, it's why we encourage you to go to it. It's why somebody gets up here and says, hey, You should do this it's because we got to do this if we want to grow we've got to be connected to one another we need the church so that's the first one the second one is this in the church we belong so that we can become we belong so that we can become now why do I say it that way I say it that way because a lot of times we we view that backwards a lot of people the way they view spiritual growth is well i got to become something i got to work on myself i got to fix this area of my life you know over here it's this hidden area of my life it's that second quadrant i got to work on that and i got to change that and then maybe once i've worked on that then i can come into community and I, then i can belong because i've cleaned myself up <laughs> that's not the gospel you can't change without christ that's why everything pointed to him so what happens is the way we grow is we belong so that we can become we join ourselves to the body of christ so that we can become so that we can grow so that god can shape and form us uh, i have i had a great uncle and um he was professionals called him a savant that was the the term they used back then if my great uncle was alive today uh, he would have been diagnosed with severe autism but uh he was an incredible human being. He he never spoke. He was completely nonverbal. He lived with his parents well into his adult years until his parents got to the point where they were uh elderly and they could not take care of him anymore. And then he lived out the rest of his life until until he died in a home for disabled adults, for mentally uh, challenged uh, adults. Um but the thing about my great uncle that was amazing and the reason they called him a savant is he was an unbelievable piano player. Literally, he could, he could play the piano masterfully to the point where uh, there's stories about him that I've, hold, I've been told is that he could hear a piece of music. No matter how complicated this piece of music was, he could hear it one time and he could sit down and he could just play it perfectly the way he just heard it. Like the memory he had, the mind that he had was just incredible for him to be able to do that but he never spoke, he didn't have relationships, he, he didn't get the early intervention and the things you know, that they say you need uh, in, our, in our day-to-day to develop and to grow, and so he never really had relationships with other people. There was an entire part of his formation as a human being that just completely went unformed, even though he had this unbelievable talent. My grandma would tell stories to me about, she, she would say like people would come into the home where he worked, there was a the piano in the lobby of this uh, you know, adult home where he lived and people would come in to visit other people and they, he, she said like he would just sit in there and play the piano for hours until they made him stop and people would just pull up chairs or just people sitting all the time, just like mesmerized listening to my uncle play. But, but he, he never had like those relationships and those things that we think of when we think of like what it means to live uh, a connected life. Um, When my son Aaron was born, he was about two years old, they told us he had autism. And the only frame of reference I had for what does that mean, what does that look like, was my great uncle. That's the only thing, when I thought autism, I thought that's what that means. So the story I made up in my head when I was told that was, oh no, I I said he's never going to speak. He's, you know, Carrie and I are are the only people who are ever going to care about him or really know him. And he's going to live... Out his days in, in, in a home somewhere after we're not able to after we after we die he'll just be kind of on his own in this home that's what I thought like that must be what's gonna happen uh, Aaron is 16 years old today he not only talks he reads and writes he's um, he's diploma tracked at Rockford High School he's getting better grades than I got in high school uh, last he has friends in fact, last month, uh, he got student of the month at Rockford High School. <laughs> I never got student of the month. I-, I never got those kind of awards, those kind of things. Um, there are, There's a few differences between my son Aaron and my great uncle, but you, know, you want to know what the most key difference between my son and my, my great uncle has been? The people around my son. That's been the difference, and you know what? Most of them have been from here, from this church. There have been so many people over the years, even as our family discovered, uh, and we were kind of going through this phase of what does this mean? How do we have to parent now? What does that mean? There were people who intersected our life, I'm serious, most of them here from Frontline. People who just stepped in to support Carrie and I, people who connected with Aaron, there are actually still some people that are really special to Aaron that connect with him from here and have been like such a positive influence in his life to develop, to help him develop and grow. We've met other special needs families and parents who have come along and said, hey, we get this. Let me me tell you what helped us when we were going through your stage of life. Uh, I'm blown away. One of the things I'll just tell you that I'm personally So thankful for, as we gave this, um, the news of this announcement this last week of this transition that's gonna be happening with me and then with David as well. One of the things that I'm so personally grateful for is that even in the midst of this transition, my family can still stay rooted here at Frontline Church. That our family can still be a part of this church, can still be a part of the community here because my family has needed it so much. You have been such a gift to, uh, to my family and I say that because uh, as, as I reflected on that and as I was reflecting on this message it's it just really hit me we need each other we don't become and then, we can, then once we've cleaned up our act we can belong we belong so that we can be formed so that we can become marriages get help in the body of Christ and are strengthened when, when, they're, when we are in community in the body of Christ uh, single moms get support and help Addictions find accountability. People who are hurting find hope and encouragement. This is what we do for one another. And so in a sense, what I'm saying is we belong so that we can become. In other words, you cannot become fully you without us. And in the same sense, we cannot ever be fully us without you, without you being a part of it. You can't fully know Jesus apart from the church. We belong so that we beca- can become, and then I'll close with this. The last thing is that we become so that we can bless. We never grow to maturity in faith in the body of Christ just so we can sort of say, look, hey, here I am. I'm, I'm mature now. There I am. I've won the award. I'm, matu- I'm mature. That's not the point. Maturity in the body of Christ means you realize that you're called to be a blessing. There's three passages of Scripture in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are the three passages that talk about spiritual gifts. You may not know that, but every believer, every person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus, you have by the Holy Spirit's power working within you a spiritual gift. But you know how all three of those passages speak about spiritual gifts? The Bible does not say spiritual gifts are given to people. What it says in all three passages, spiritual gifts are given to the church through people. You're not given a a spiritual gift. The church is given a spiritual gift through you. So it's a stewardship issue. We belong so that we become, and then we become who God calls us to be so that we can turn around and bless others. Um, In the last two years, man, belonging has become more complicated. And then blessing, serving, being involved in the church, it's become more complicated. But it's who we are. It's what we're called to. No matter what's happening around us in our world it's what we're called to do so i'll close this way any you know i want to talk cody i think you were right on just anybody in this room who's maybe hurting anybody in this room who's carrying a burden uh maybe you walked in here today and you're just kind of like man i'm just i'm just here because i'm just checking this out i just need help maybe you're watching online right now you're like maybe i'll just try a church service maybe i'll try that here's what you, you need to know God is wanting to move toward you. He's the God who pursues you. He's the God all throughout Scripture, over and over again, he just keeps moving closer and closer to his his people. But he made the body of Christ. He called us to be a part of it. And you are only as alone as you choose to be. You're only as alone in this world as you choose to be because God's given us the church. He's given us the gospel. And we would love to do whatever we can to help you connect with that. Would you pray with me? So God, right now we just come before you in our hearts and we just recognize, God, that uh, sometimes, especially in the last couple of years, it's become easier and easier to just kind of say, I'm gonna take a pass from the church. I'll be a Christian, that's fine. I'll read the Bible, but I don't don't wanna be a part of the church. (laughs) And God, I pray this morning that you would just remind us again of what you've called us to be together. Uh, The the church, when we are doing what you've called us to be, when we are focused around you, Jesus, there's nothing more powerful and impactful and compelling in this entire world than the local church. So God, would you knit us together by your spirit? Would you call us to to the gospel? Would you remind us of what you called us to be? Uh, That you didn't just bless us, but you blessed us to be a blessing. That you, you called us to belong so that we can become. And God, we want to know you fully. We want to be fully known by you. Uh, So would you just lead us, God, lead us as your church into this time, into this future, into what it is that you have for us, God, and we trust you fully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said.